the unthinkable, the shift that showed our frailty. Nonetheless, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. We are separated, we are isolated, and in this world, we have trouble. Nonetheless, we take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. We are conflicted and frustrated, weary too. But nonetheless, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. We are down but not out, sidelined but still in the game. We fight for our families, we hold on to love, we strive for kindness, but the hard times get harder. Nonetheless, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We walk through adversity. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We know to whom we belong and we know where our hope lies. For he is the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and the one who is to come. It looks bleak, they say it's grim, there's a lot to fear, but nonetheless, we are strong. We are courageous. We are the church. Poised and confident, she walked onto the stage. In fact, one of the biggest stages that she'd ever been on in her life. She was prepared. She was ready. This young 23-year-old girl walked onto the biggest stage with her long yellow coat and took the stage as the, the nation's first ever youth poet laureate. She came to deliver a message, a message written through her words. We were there to watch as Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. And yet, the one who seemed to steal the stage was this young 23-year-old girl who challenged us to dream, to love, and to come together. You couldn't help but sit there and feel inspired. She eloquently shared thoughts like this. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And that a nation isn't broken, but simply unfinished. That in the midst of our grieving, we learned how to grow. And she shared, for while we have eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. And if we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and changes our children's birthright. These words that she shared inspired others to dream, inspired them to a place of influence. And in one simple moment, young Amanda Gorman went from obscurity to influence. Obscurity, by definition, is simple. It's the state of being unknown, inconspicuous, or unimportant. When we hear those words unimportant, many of us strive to say, I don't want to feel unimportant or inconspicuous or even be unknown. In fact, many of us desire to have influence. 
by definition, influence would be the state of being known, the capacity to have an effect on the character or development or behavior of someone or something. Think about that, having a capacity to actually have an effect on the character of someone, the development of them, the behavior. Amanda Gorman this past week from, went from obscurity to influence. She inspired young girls from across America to begin to dream, to dream of maybe even one day being the president of the United States. I can see young girls standing in their rooms at a cardboard box podium with a yellow jacket delivering their inauguration speech. It's interesting to note that this year's color trend, quote unquote, of 2021 is yellow. Her Prada yellow jacket and red headband that she wore actually sold out online already because of the simple influence. And I think inside of each and every one of us there is a desire for influence, a desire to be known. We have magazines and websites and TV programs that all tell us about the rich and the famous. We see the influence that others carry and we long in many ways to have some bit of influence. In fact, today we actually have what are known as influencers. By definition, these are people who have the power to affect the purchasing decisions of others. Business has realized how these influencers actually can carry their products to a whole other level. To have influence on another can help that business actually grow their demand through sales, through simple moments. The other day I was sitting on Amazon, and on Amazon they have live people walking through products. And I decided to take a click. I've never looked at it, I've never watched it, and here was one of their influencers going through. And as I'm sitting there watching it, all of a sudden I realized I need a new air fryer. (laughs) Not because I don't have one, but because she was telling me about how great that new air fryer was. She talked about the capacity that it held. And then she told me the secret. The secret was this air fryer, the the container was dishwasher safe. And instantly I thought to myself, that would save me a whole lot of headache because I'm tired of trying to clean the bottom of that thing out. I could just throw it inside of the dishwasher. She is an influencer. All of us, to some degree, are influenced by those who are around us. Whether it's the clothes we wear or the colors we choose, we are influenced by others. Last year's color was millennial purple. And what you began to see is people wearing purple everywhere. Even at the inauguration speech, they were wearing purple. Now they say that it was because it was symbolic of red and blue being joined together to form purple. But I think for many of us, We are influenced by the culture that's around us. And yet, I believe God has called us to be the influencers. For too long, the church has been silent in the midst of culture. We've allowed them to dictate where we go and the directions we choose. And yet, we, the people of God, have actually been called to influence culture around us. There was a time when the church, through the arts, influenced culture around them. Beautiful works of arts were created in chapels around the world as people would come to look at these beautiful artists. 
Look at the things that they created. At one point in time, through dance and other things, the church was the place that was creative. The church was the leading in the culture. In fact, a community couldn't be formed in many ways without a church first being started. And yet along the way, the church fell back. We played it safe rather than marching ahead. And we took defensive structures instead of offensive structures. I have a question for you today. Did Jesus have influence and did Jesus have power? I think most of us would answer the question and we would say yes. You think about the life of what Jesus lived thousands of years ago and yet he's still influencing culture today. Did he have influence? Absolutely. Did he have power? Absolutely. But it's interesting to note this, that Jesus himself, though, did not bring influence, power, or gain upon himself, but constantly pointed it to the Father. He himself, in flesh, walking this earth, was constantly pointing to the Father. And Jesus teaches us that the source of influence is actually the Father. It's him who our influence comes from. It's the Father who gives us the tools in order to influence culture. It's the Father who gives us the resources that are needed to influence culture. It's the Father who owns it all. Scripture teaches us that the Father's resources are actually unlimited. Throughout the Psalms, it is declared in Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's and all of it. Psalms 50, every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills is the Lord's. Psalms 104, the earth is full of your possessions. There's this idea throughout the Psalms and throughout the scriptures that God has every resource you and I need to have influence on culture around us. Today's big idea is simple. Influence from God taps in to unlimited supply. I want you to write that down. If you could put that on your phone or you could write it down on a piece of paper today. You could journal it. But, but I want you to write it down. Influence from God taps into unlimited supply. I think for many of us, we are caught back with the resources that we have. And we think that the only way I can have influence is if I have resources. And somehow we play it safe like we don't have the resources at our disposal. And God's like, I've given you everything you need. I have an unlimited supply. These past two weeks we've been talking about how the enemy, though, comes at us with three simple temptations. It's the same game plan, the same tactics that the enemy is constantly using against us. But we've been actually called to overcome. By definition, remember, to overcome is to get better of to overwhelm, to gain superiority. My prayer is that these last 14 days of this time of prayer and fasting, that you have been seeing superiority rise in you. Not in of yourself, but that of the Father. He's called you to a place of being an overcomer. Anyone believe that today? God's called you to be an overcomer. In fact, some of us need to hear that. You need to hear it from your own mouth. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to say this this morning. I want you to say, I am an overcomer. I believe that you are an overcomer. I believe that God would say that you are an overcomer. Not because of what you've accomplished or what you've done in your strength, but because of what he's accomplished. This week, Kasha and I found ourselves in Ohio, and we had gone there for some marriage counseling, and it was just a phenomenal time, and 
we're sitting there and we're walking through some things and it became personalized. It became about things that I was walking through. And he asked me a simple question. When you were between the ages of five and nine, what were the things you struggled with? And as I began to answer those questions, we began to get to some places and he gave me some things that he wanted me to work on. In fact, just a simple thing of what he wanted me to do this week. And so I began to be challenged by what he was saying, but he brought things to a place where he looked at me and he said this, he said, does one encounter with Jesus change everything? And I said, yes. And then he said this, is it that one encounter where it stops or does it continue? Is it a process? Is it something that continues in our lives? And as I sat there and I was thinking, is he trying to ask me a trick question or, or what is this? And, and I was trying to process through and finally I said, it's, it, it doesn't just stop there. It's kind of the beginning. Yes, one moment with Jesus does change everything. But that moment then leads to a series of steps that we take in our life of progression. It's called sanctification, where we become more like Christ. You see, it's not that we just give our lives to Jesus and surrender to him and say, Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life and stay there. That's where it begins the series of steps of taking one step closer in our walk with him. And when we take those steps, our influence grows. We've been walking through Matthew chapter 4 where we see Jesus right before he's starting his public ministry spends 40 days in prayer and fasting. And in that moment he has three temptations that the enemy comes and uses against him. The first is this, it's physical appetite. The second is personal gain. And the third is power and glory. He's constantly going at us from one of these three things, trying to grab our physical appetite, trying to get us to look to the personal gain. And then there's this idea of power and glory. I want to focus in on the power and glory because I believe we live in the midst of a culture right now that is consumed with self-glorification. It's all about you and you can have it your way and do it your way. Just do it. It's all about you. You can be whoever you want to be. It does not matter even how you were created, the gender to which you were created, because God must have not known what he was doing, and so you can choose to be you, whoever you is. People are literally rejecting the very nature of who God created them to be. And I know for many of us, we stand back from that moment and we say this, I don't even comprehend how we could even be having a discussion about that. But yet that is where our culture is today. And I believe it's because we live in a culture that is constantly saying, it's about you. If I lived my life based upon my feelings, I would make a lot of dumb decisions. I would say a lot of stupid things on Facebook. I would say a lot of stupid things to people face to face. And I would do a lot of stupid things. I, I would, it, it, it would be a mess if I just gave in to how I feel. What's interesting to note is the enemy has constantly been trying to get God's people to adapt to the identity the world has for them. He's constantly trying to get them to think of them as gods themselves. Them worthy of praise, them worthy of recognition. That's why we live in a celebrity culture. It's because we glorify those that we want to become like, those who we think have it all together. Look at how Satan literally from the very beginning tempts Adam and Eve. At the end of Genesis chapter 3 in verses 5 through 6, it says this, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. Knowing both good and evil. 
The trick the enemy uses is the enemy says you will be like God. You get to choose. You get to be whoever you want to be. You'll be just like God. And Eve is enticed, so the scriptures go on to say, so when the women saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, to what? To make her influential. To make her influence what's around her, maybe even to influence Adam. She took of its fruit and she ate. And it's interesting, her influence. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Don't tell me that Eve was not tempted with influence. She had influence. So the, the enemy came and said, you'll be like God. You'll have influence over others. And what does she have? She has influence over Adam. Now, I'm not saying it's Adam's or Eve's fault or anything like that. All I'm saying is she simply had influence. She introduced that back to him. Now, he had a choice. He could have easily said, no, that's wrong. He could have chose to lead his home, but instead he chose to fall back. That's another sermon for another time. The temptation was you will be like God. You will have influence. But here's the thing about the enemy's influence. It's counterfeit. And it never lasts. It's like a moment. In one moment, you have a little bit of influence, and then it quickly fades. But remember this, that influence from God taps in to unlimited supply. See, the enemy's game plan has not changed, so don't be fooled. You and I can know that, that we actually have influence, but we have to recognize where the influence comes from. You are an influencer. You don't have to be paid by Amazon or some other organization out there to be an influencer. You are an influencer. And your influence can either continue to last or it will die up based upon where the source of your influence comes from. Remember, Satan convinced a third of heaven to follow after him because of his influence. If you don't think that Satan has influence, then how could he convince two people who had everything they needed, living in a perfect place to give up the perfect place and everything they had. Influence. Don't think that the enemy does not have influence. But here's the thing. Satan is constantly overplaying his hand. And you and I have to remember that influence from God taps into unlimited supply. It's even crazy to think he even goes after Jesus himself to try to influence. Satan is so confident in his influence that he comes to Jesus in the midst of this time of prayer and fasting in Matthew chapter 4, and he comes to him, and right at the end, he basically offers him glory. It says in verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain, this is the third temptation, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their what? Glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now for us, we look at that and go, that's crazy. Jesus is not going to buy that. Satan, why are you even trying? But what we have to dig is we have to dig a little deeper and really look at what was Satan offering Jesus. Here's what he was offering him. He was offering him the shortcut. He was saying, Jesus, listen, I'll give you all this. This is who you came to save. This is who you came to set free. I'll give it all to you. In a shortcut fashion. 
no pain, no cross, no rejection, no nails in your hand, no thorns in your head. No, it, I'll, I will give you power without cost, glory without cost, influence without cost. You'll have immediate possession by simply bowing a knee and compromise before me. Instead of enduring the long, bitter, humiliating, and painful road to the cross, and even longer waiting in heaven for God's time to be completed, Jesus could rule the world now. A shortcut to influence. And here's what hit me. That is the tactic the enemy still uses today. Shortcut to influence. No big deal, just skim off the top at work. It's not a big deal. They owe you anyways. It's not that big of a deal. Shortcut to influence. Compromise in this, no one will even know. It's between, like, seriously, no one will know. It's just a little compromise for you to get the influence that you need. Shortcut to influence. But I love Jesus' response. It's very clear, and it's grounded upon the word of God. In verse 10, Jesus stands up by the Spirit using the scripture for the third time. And he tells the devil he's not going to be distracted. He's not going to buy into the influence. And he quotes to him Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What does Jesus teach us in this moment? He teaches us that there's no shortcut to influence. He teaches us that there is pain attached to influence, and he teaches us how to use God's word properly in a moment, because influence from God taps in to unlimited supply. God's word is filled with unlimited supply that Jesus knows we need. Jesus knew where true influence, true power, and true glory came from. He knew it didn't come from the things of this world. It came from the Father. I love John chapter 5 because here we see Jesus coming. It's a Sabbath day, and he sees this man in Bethsaida, and he, he's at this pool. And every day this lame man's there, but he can't get into the water. And Jesus comes, and he heals that man. And he says, take up your mat and walk. And the Jewish people get so freaked out. They're, they're like the, the Sanhedrin and all of them are just upset because he's done a miracle on the Sabbath. He's, and they're just upset. They're like, I can't believe this. So then Jesus basically says the source of what he's doing comes from the Father. And basically in many ways he's like, that's who's influencing this. It's the Father. So then they get even more mad because they're like, well, you're saying that you're the Son of God. And now we're really mad at you. And so they want to kill him. They, wanna, they want to, to take away the influence that Jesus has. But I love this. In verse 19 of chapter 5 in John, it says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what the Father sees the Father doing. For whatever, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was literally in that moment saying, I'm not the source, the Father is. I'm only doing what the Father tells me to do. Influence from God taps into 
unlimited supply. I love this because Jesus wasn't trying to be famous. He wasn't trying to be known. He was just simply saying, the one who does give me influence, the one who does make me known is the Father. In our lives, if we were constantly giving recognition to the Father as our source of influence, do you know what we would have more? More influence. We would have it. Because we would be recognizing where the influence comes from, and we would be recognizing that it's an unlimited supply of influence. A few verses later in verse 30, we see him saying this, I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus saying this. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's like, it's not even about me. It never has been about me. It's always about him. Right now, we are at a prefaces at a church. And when I say a church, I'm not talking just Bethany Assembly. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We are at a preface as a church because what we are faced with right now is the idea between being a follower of Jesus and nationalism. And we're getting very confused as to which the two are. I am an American. I have no problem saying I'm American. I'm proud to be an American. Where at least, come on, I figured you guys would start singing with me. But seriously, like, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of our brave men and women who have fought for our freedom. And I honor that. And I honor our police and our military and our firefighters who keep us safe. Like, I honor those around us. But nationalism and pride in being American is very different than being a follower of Jesus. Because being a follower of Jesus means I give up my rights for the cost of others. Being an American, many times, I stand for my right. And what we're doing is we're becoming confused in our influence. May the church not grow in influence in nationalism, but may the church grow in influence as followers of Jesus. Because we're willing to love unconditionally. Come on now. And we're willing to give of ourselves for others, to lay down our life for another. That's what Jesus models for us. And that is the influence to which we are called and how we will make a difference. The psalmist said it well in Psalms 24, verse 3. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in this holy place? For he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul. Notice that. Who does not lift up his soul. Who does not lift up his influence. Who does not make it about him. Who does not make it about his rights and what he deserves. It says to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. The psalmist knew that we would be tempted to lift up our influence. The psalmist knew that we would be tempted to lift up our power and our glory and to make it about us. In fact, that's why the enemy tempted Jesus with it. That's why the enemy tempted Adam and Eve with it. But what we see is how we can conquer through Jesus. Why? Because Adam failed in it, but Jesus redeemed it. Do you see what I'm saying? What Jesus did was Jesus took care of what Adam had messed up. And what that does for you and me today is that it allows us to come at it from a place of victory, not a place of defeat. Because Jesus has taken care of your sin, set you free to where your influence can come from the Father, not from the things of this world. The Father's supply is an unlimited supply. You may be wondering in this moment, like, I don't understand. I, I don't really feel like I struggle with lifting up my soul. Well, here, the NIV translation says it this way. It says, who does not lift up his soul to an idol? 
What are the things we idolize in culture? Money, fame, work, sex. You name it, they're idols. An idol is anything that we place before God. Many of us, some of us put our family before God. And they've become idols. Idolatry is often, though, hard to see. It's not something that when we go to the mirror in the morning and we're getting ready, we look at it and we go, oh, man, I got a bunch of idols. We don't see it that way. This fast, though, I believe, is showing us areas in our lives where maybe there are idols. As we spend time in prayer and fasting, God begins to reveal things to us. I don't know about you, but I know for me that's what he's been doing. Hey, Brian, here's an area that you need to work on. And I go, I didn't even see that. Thank you. And I begin to work through that like a chisel in the stone. It's often the chisel that comes through. I read a story here a while back about a rock cutter. And the rock cutter was sitting there and he was striking and striking and striking this rock. When eventually time had gone on, he took a break, he came back, and, and he once again struck that rock. But in that moment, people were around, and he struck it, and as he struck that rock, the rock split, and the rock cutter had accomplished what he had set out to accomplish. And someone there said, what a blow. But the rock cutter looked at the man and said, that blow was not the one that actually did the damage. It was the blow after the blow after the blow after the blow after the blow. The step after the step after the step after the step that actually had the influence to crack the rock open. I wonder for us today what it is that God has called us to influence. For many of us in our lives, we may look at our lives and say, I don't have idols, but here's a surefire test for you. Surefire test. Here we go. It's just three simple things. It's your time, your money, and your conversations. I want you to think about what do you spend your time on, your money on, and your conversations on? That will show us what are things possibly that could be idols in your life. How's your checkbook? Is Walmart become an idol? <laughs> Is that where you spend most of your money? You may say, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't go in store. I, I shop online. It's called Amazon. <laughs> okay. What is it? Where do you spend your time? You see, when we honor God in those three areas, we tap into influence from God that is in an unlimited supply. I wonder if you've ever done a time study before. Uh, it's one of the things I actually like to do uh, for myself. I've done it multiple times throughout my career. It's a, a time study that I do. And I, what I want to do is I want to look at where am I spending my time? How much time am I spending on different things? Uh, a time study is where you track your time usage throughout the day by writing down what you're doing, tracking the time it takes to complete the task, and it also brings you an awareness of how you're spending your time. One of the things I love about a time study is this, is I often discover where I'm spending my time and how I'm spending my time in ways I don't want to. That's what a time study many times does. A good friend of mine said this, Brian, if you give yourself three hours to mow the lawn, it will take you three hours. But if you tell yourself you can do the mowing the lawn in an hour and a half, your brain will figure out how to mow the lawn in an hour and a half. The amount of time you give to something is the amount of time it will take. 
I think it's safe to say that we all wish we had more time. Come on now. I think we all wish this. Like, man, the end of the day comes, we're like, oh, I just wish I had more time. But the truth is, is we all have the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours. We all have 1,440 minutes. We all have 86,400 seconds. Everyone has the same amount of time. But what makes you unique is how you spend your 86,400 seconds. How you and I spend it is unique because we all get to choose. See, if you want to binge watch 24 hours of Netflix, guess what you can do? You can binge watch 24 hours of Netflix. If you want to spend eight hours working, four hours golfing, two hours eating, and 10 hours sleeping, you can do that. However you want to break down your 24 hours a day is your choice. You get to decide. I wonder what could happen if we actually did a time study on life. What if for a second you took a step back and you did a time study not only of your time but of your money and of your conversations? What if just for one week, this next seven days, you took a moment to actually write down what type of conversations you were having? What if you took a moment to write down where you spent your money? What if you took a moment to write down how you spent your time? I think we would discover a lot of things. Some of us would discover we spend too much time on social media. The endless scroll through the Facebook feed, looking for the news. From TV games to t or from TV to video games to hobbies to eating, you would find how you're spending your time, your money, and your conversations. Now, none of these are bad in and of themselves, but I do think that if most of us knew how much time we were spending on certain things, we would be shocked. Some of us say I'm a really positive person, but if we were to actually track our conversations, we would actually find that maybe we're not. And there's some corrections that need to happen. There's some influence that needs to happen. What is happening in our lives? This week you have an opportunity, these next seven days, as we're wrapping up our time of prayer and fasting, to really focus in. What if you teamed up this week with the prayer and fasting with a time study on life? For some of you, it may be a step of just joining the fast. Maybe you're like, I haven't been a part of it yet, and that would be the thing I want to do this week. I want to encourage you to get the prayer booklet, uh, ebook that we have. You can check that out. It's on our social feeds. Also, if you can go out to the group hub afterwards, they can get that to you as well. It's, it's a great tool to help you throughout this time of prayer and fasting. And it actually is connected right to what we're soaping in. But I challenge you this week to be intentional with your time, your money, and your conversations. I'm, I challenge you to take another step. What if this week you just began to realize how you spent those? Sometimes the first step we take in a moment of gaining influence comes right back to the big idea from today. To remember that influence from God taps into unlimited supply. But here's what's interesting. The world, though, says that, that it's this. The world says influence from the world, and this is what we find out. Influence from the world is actually limited supply. Think about it. Rich and famous come and go. 
Think about, for many of you, I look across this room, I see some gray hair. I see some, some older people. Here, here's what I know. The people who were influential and famous when you were young are not the same people who are influential and famous today. We agree? Why? Because it comes from a limited supply. What the world's offering is a limited supply. Influence from the world is, is limited. Influence from God, though, is actually unlimited. Let's break this down for a second. Uh, influence from God. True influence that comes from God is this, is, is where we actually recognize that our influence comes from God. See, influence from God is recognizing that it's never been about you and it's never been about me. It's not even about our family and those who are around us. It's always been about him. In the world where influence can be measured by social media likes and the size of a crowd that shows up to something, when you're on a stage, we can forget that because real kingdom leadership, real kingdom influence begins when you and I have actually true followers who are behind us, not flaky fans. Fans consume and love to be entertained. Followers give and love to sacrifice. If you, if you think about some of the greatest critics that are out there, are some who are, at one point in time, some of the greatest fans. One of the hardest things for me has always been in ministry has been this. People will love me in the beginning, and then an offense happens in their life, and all of a sudden, they no longer love me. It's like, they're just like, Pastor Brian's so great. He's just great. I love him. I love the word. And then all of a sudden, they're like, they get offended by something. And then they go, you know what? I don't even like him. I don't even think he preaches the word of God. I, 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 don't, I can't remember the last time I heard Jesus. It's like, what? Where did all this come from? It's like, why? Because we, we're fans. Now listen, I don't want you to be a fan of me. I want you to be a follower of him. I'm not interested in building a crowd, getting a large stage or anything like that. You may say, Pastor Brian, I don't know about that. Honestly, I'm not. My, my interest and my goal is in making him famous. I recognize where the source comes from, and it comes from God. See, here's what I know, is that sacrifice separates fans from followers. Fans don't want to sacrifice, but followers will. If you want to have influence, you've got to recognize that influence comes from God. Throughout the scriptures, it talks about follow me as I follow God. Jesus represented this perfectly for us. That even though he was the prince of peace, he was not by any means, though, a peacekeeper. He was a peacemaker. Think about it. Jesus wasn't a peacekeeper. He wasn't there to make peace among the people. He was, there to, he, he was actually there to make peace. He was the peacemaker, not the peacekeeper. Jesus knew his influence came from the Father, and his mission was to do what the Father had told him to do, which sometimes means upsetting the crowd. Sometimes it means upsetting the fans. He lived out this truth when it comes to this fear of the Lord in Proverbs 19.10, like where it talks about that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I love how King David writes it in Psalms 23. He says it this way. He says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. And my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is the psalmist talking about? The psalmist is reminding us that God is our source. And that influence actually comes from God. The second part is taps into unlimited supply. It's impossible for us to really know the depth of God's love. Or even to know the storehouses and how much is there. His resources are without limits. Because why? Because he's the creator of heaven and earth and everything we know. All that we need comes from him. Whether it's your finances, your health, your family, whatever it may be, you will never face a need that goes beyond God's ability to supply it. And the good news is, is no one's ever exhausted God's supply. God's not been having, oh, that bank account's out, sorry, ain't got nothing more. No, it's, it's constantly there. It's an unlimited supply. When it comes to having your needs met, trust that God is your source and that he's an unlimited source. I, I, want, I want to give you this word picture for a, a second. The ocean doesn't care how much water you take from it. You know why? Because it's a vast supply. You could go up to the ocean with a teaspoon and take it out, or you could walk up with a bucket and take it out. The ocean does not care. Because it's an unlimited, it's, it's not an unlimited, but it's a large supply. You could back a tanker truck up to it, pump 24 hours a day, seven days a week, water out of it. Just keep pumping it out. And guess what? The ocean does not care. Why? Because it's a large supply. If a large supply has that type of influence, how much does an unlimited supply have? God has an unlimited supply for us. Influence from God taps into unlimited supply. I know it's simple. I know it's just one thought, but influence from God taps into an unlimited supply. See, as a child of God, as a joint heir with Jesus Christ, we are plugged in to an unending supply of God's grace and favor. We never think or, or, or think like it's not enough. We always know it is enough. But the enemy wants you to buy into the world's influence. The enemy wants you to think that Influence is limited, or that influence has a cost that you can't pay. But remember, Jesus paid the cost for your influence. That's even the greater thing about it, is the influence we're talking about is not something you earn. It's something you receive. We have to be more uh, in concerned with seeking God's presence, the Father's presence, than his presence. Stop worrying about getting, and, and I need this, and I need that. But actually say, I just need God's presence. If I could just find myself in God's presence, in the Father's presence, I know that influence comes from God, and it's an unlimited supply. So therefore, that is the place that I will live my life. Maybe these next seven days of this prayer and fasting, you would just simply say this, God, this week, this week, I want my influence to come not from me and things I've accomplished. I want my influence to come from you. In my workplace, I want my influence to come from you. In my job, and in, in, my, in my family, in my relationships, and in my friendships, I want that influence to come from you. Philippians 4, 19, passage probably many of us are familiar with. And my God 
will supply every need of yours according to what? His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Influence from God taps into unlimited supply. See, when you look at the life of Jesus, the life that he models for us, what we see is we see how to live a life in the midst of culture that's screaming out, it's all about you. Jesus easily could have been like this. You're right. I'm the son of God. I've come to seek and to save the lost. I'm going to live a sinless life. I'm going to hang upon the cross for you. You're right. Let my influence carry forth. But it wasn't. His example was, my influence comes from the Father. He was constantly showing and modeling for us where our influence comes from. Not from you. Not from what you accomplish, but from him. And it's in the midst of these moments that we see that influence from God taps into an unlimited supply. Why would Jesus take the servant or the, the nature of a servant when he washed the disciples' feet? Because he recognized it wasn't about him. It was about the Father who was giving influence. He recognized that it was his example that he would live for you and me that would actually show us what it means to have true influence from God. There's a familiar hymn to many of us that I think easily lets us understand the beauty of what the cross is all about and the influence that we have from God. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Easy words to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, to let the things of this world grow strangely dim. The influence of this world, just let it grow strangely dim. Let the glory and power that the enemy would try to tempt us with, of the influence of this world, just, just, just fade into the light of his glory and of his grace. In closing today, I wonder, where does your influence come from? Where does your influence come from? I wonder what would happen today if we actually surrendered to the Father and said, you know what, my influence is not in anything I've created, but my influence comes from you. Your influence is actually an unlimited supply, and that's what I want to be tapped into. What if this week we actually did a life study and said, what and how am I spending my time and my money and my conversations on? How can I be about the Father's business like Jesus was? What could happen if we actually recognized that our influence came from that of the Father and that his supply was unlimited? What if we actually believed that? Not just said it, believed it. See, some of us haven't taken steps 
of just simple obedience in regards to money in our lives. Why? Because we don't really believe this yet. That it's an unlimited supply. That God owns it all. That he will take care of us in these seasons. Why do Kasha and I walk in obedience in our lives? For one, I want God's covering and blessing over my life. Two, it's called obedience for a reason. Three, I recognize it's all his. And four, it's an unlimited supply. Now, do I have an unlimited supply in my bank account? No. But do I have connection to the unlimited supply? Yes. Have I seen God provide in crazy ways, in ways I never dreamed possible? Yes. Why? Because my life is connected to the unlimited supply. Because I've recognized that my influence comes from God. What could happen if we changed our thinking? What could happen if we changed our life? What could happen if we simply began to realize the influence that God has called us to? So two simple calls today. The first is this. Maybe you don't know the Father. Maybe, maybe you even think that you know him, but you don't personally know him. Maybe you know that, yes, Jesus died upon the cross. He paid the price for my freedom, for my sin. But maybe you're not living that out. You see, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If we continue in old patterns of sin, there has to be something that has to be a defining moment that says you are no longer that person. You've been set free. So now don't go in sin anymore. Don't keep going back to it. Be set free. That's what freedom is. And for some of us today, maybe it's a moment of surrendering to God for the first time and saying, Jesus, I recognize you as Lord and Savior of my life, and I want a personal relationship with you, with the Father. Maybe for others of us, it, it's a moment of recognizing that we've been walking away from the Father, choosing to be influenced by the things of this world rather than recognizing that influence from, comes from God and that he's our unlimited supply. And so it's a moment of recorrection and saying, God, I once again surrender to you. Forgive me of my sin. Change that part of me. The beauty is, is God's a gentleman. And here's what I mean. He's knocking at the heart's door and he's saying, if you open the door, I'll come in. I'll have conversation with you. I'll spend time with you. I'll restore you. I have a gift for you. But the reality is, is you have to open the door. God is not like a SWAT team member who knocks the thing down and pushes his way in. He simply knocks. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment this morning. Even those watching online. I wonder if right now God would be saying to you, I'm knocking. I wonder if you hear it this morning. Do you hear him knocking on that heart's door and saying, I want a relationship with you, a personal relationship? God right now, I believe, is knocking on your heart's door. And all you have to do is open. 
All you have to do is respond. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what? That's me, Pastor Brian. I can hear him knocking on my heart's door. And I want to open it up. If that's you, if you just real quickly just raise your hand. You just say, that's me. I just need, I'm going to open that door up. Maybe you're watching online right now and you say, you know what, that's me. And just in the comment you just put in there right now, that's me. God's speaking to me. I want to open that door. I want to pray with those who possibly this would be your next step to open the door. And we're going to join together with you by repeating a simple prayer. Say, Jesus, right now, I can't do this on my own. I hear you knocking at my heart door. So I open the door and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, that you would change my life. I want relationship with you. So from this moment forward, I will take another step. I thank you for loving me, for giving me a brand new home in heaven, starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The second call is real simple. It's this. Maybe today you're here in the room, and for you, this message is a redirection. And here's what I mean. Maybe you've allowed the influence of this world to be the influence you display. And you've recognized today that influence from God is actually an unlimited supply and you want that. And so if today you would say, you know what, this is my moment, this is my time. I want to publicly in this moment say, I recognize that my influence comes from God, not from the things of this world. And I want God to be the influencer of my life. I want him to be the unlimited supply in which I operate from. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you just to stand to your feet. You just say, I want the influence of God to be the thing that people see connected to the unlimited resources of God. If that's you, just stand to your feet. You just say, that's, that's me. I want God to use me in that way. I want to be used by God like that. All right, if you're standing, just put your hands out just like this, an act of receiving right now. Father, for every person that's standing, even those standing online right now, they're in their homes, they're in different environments, and they're standing on their feet right now in this moment, and they're saying, I want to recognize that my influence comes not from the things of this world, but my influence comes from God, and it's an unlimited supply, and I surrender to that today. And God, our hands are outstretched right now in a posture of receiving, because here's what we need. God, we need your strength. We need your strength. So, Father, I pray that from the top of everyone's heads to the bottom of their feet, through every mind, through every, through every heart, through every body, through every thought, God, that you would be lifted up and that you would be the center and that you would be the influence and that you and I, God, we would recognize that we actually receive our influence from you. And we would not have a defensive posture, but an offensive posture. That we would say, if influence comes from God and it's an unlimited supply, then I am going to be an influencer in my work, in my family, in my community, in my state, in my nation. I'm an influencer. 
I'm an influencer. So God, I thank you for depositing that into each and every person today. In Jesus' name, amen.